0: This Week in Startups is brought to you by 8sleep, the first bed engineered to improve your sleep through dynamic cooling and heating, detailed sleep tracking, and more. Get the sleep you deserve and supercharge your health and productivity at eightsleepcom twist. And Zendesk, the best customer experiences are built with Zendesk. Qualifying startups can join their startup program and get Zendesk products free
1: for a full year. Visit zendesk.com slash twist today to get started.
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Startups. I'm your host, Jason kellek and this is a special 10-part series we're doing on scaling your startup. The first episode we just completed, and that was fundraising and getting funding for your startup. That's what we hear about all the time. Today, we're going to talk about one of the most important topics that you have to have nailed inside of your company before you start to grow, before you start to scale. And that topic is communications. We're going to talk all about communications, internal, external, investors, team members, co-founders, and my guest today uh, are three of the four fantastic four members, uh, or two of the four fantastic four members here at This Week in Startups and Launch, our investment company. Uh, Ashley Whitehurst is our managing director of syndicates, and Samantha... Sam, August, uh, is our president, and she she makes sure the whole system is running. So welcome back to the program, Ashley. Thanks for having me. And Sam, welcome back. This is your first appearance on the scale series that we're doing, this 10-part scale series. Um, And we've been working pretty hard on these documents to try to really tap into what we've learned over hundreds of investments, watching a lot of failure, watching a lot of success. Um, And Sam actually ran her own uh, a startup as well so she's got some experience on the other side of the table if you want to follow along with this deck it's available at this week in startup slash gal so if you go to this week in startup slash gal you'll see the deck depending on when you tune in if we've completed all 10 episodes in the series you'll see all 10 decks as one giant deck with about 70 80 slides if you're tuning in after episode two or three you might just see 20 or 30 slides we're just going to add uh, each one to each uh, episode to the deck, and the deck will have some links in it and some ability for you to add notes, uh, and if you're confused about anything, so go to thisweekinstartups.com slash scale, S-C-A-L-E. All right, Ashley, what is our first topic in our scaling communications at your startup?
0: Yeah, we're going to start the very beginning with co-founder alignment. So in in this topic, we're going to discuss what the priorities are when first communicating about your startup. So Sam, if you want to kick us off.
1: Yeah. So the top priority is that you absolutely must have alignment among the founding team. You want to start discussions early on about your company mission and values and make sure you all agree. Um, if, If you don't agree, there's, you know, it's highly likely that you won't succeed.
2: Yeah. And why are you there? I mean, if you have a mission to build Airbnb and you don't like to travel and you certainly don't want to stay in people's houses or extra bedrooms or extra apartments, like, Yeah. You probably shouldn't have joined that startup. You should have joined an enterprise software company. So agreement on the mission is critical.
1: Yeah. And and a lot of co-founders think, oh, well, you know, we can always flush this out later or things will change. But in most situations, um, you know, at least what I've seen is that that doesn't happen and it Mm -hmm. only gets worse.
2: Got it. And uh, I see here point two, agreeing on the roles. How does one go about doing this?
1: Yeah. So um, with this one, it, it's it's important that you agree on a division of responsibilities and make sure everyone understands there are certain functions within the company. So having very clearly defined roles, you know, within the CEO title, COO title, in the very beginning, I think a lot, there's going to be a lot of overlap, but you want to make sure you have, um, you know, who is in charge of the tech, who's going to be running the product
2: team, who's in charge of sales, HR, things like that. Got it. And for people who have never run a startup. Oh boy, they may not even know what the roles are. This is where having great mentors, investors, or board members, they can say, listen, there's going to be three main functions at this company or five main functions at this company. You got to figure out a way to split up this work yeah, and have exactly. some intentionality about it. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, great. And then um, another another thing that's important is just understanding each other's communication styles. So not only among the co-founding team, but the entire founding team and initial employees and beyond. So um, you want to discuss these preferences. Um, some people, you know, um, will have expectations early on about work-life balance, things like that. So all of this you, you just want to discuss um, right in the beginning. And this could also include, you know, um, introversion versus extroversion, um, you know, how people, how people like to receive feedback, things like that.
2: Got it. And also I'm assuming here um, if you're not communicating well, people's minds tend to wander. So sometimes you'll have somebody who leaves at 5.30 every day and you're like, what's going on there? And maybe they have to pick up their kids up from school or you know, maybe they're going to yoga, but they're back online for two more hours and you just didn't see that work. Mm-hmm. And so your mind can wander and being candid with each other as co-founders as to the work style and the communication style and maybe even feedback. Some people don't take feedback very well. They need to like really go slow and... They feel very accused if there's any criticism or something like that. I think that's always the, the problem I see with founders is that they're really not very good at giving criticism. And everybody wants to focus on what's going well. Mm-hmm. But the job of the CEO and the founding team is to be able to be candid and look at what's not working. How, how should you deliver the bad news? How should right. bad news be communicated to each other? Do you guys have feelings about that?
0: Yeah. And we'll we'll talk about we'll talk about having tough conversations a little bit later, too. But but bad news is always important to share. Being direct about it is really, really important. Talking about what you believe are the main causes for whatever the bad news is. And and then brainstorming.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And also, um, just discuss what to do. So oftentimes, you know, you'll have a team member that is a high performer, but having a negative effect on the company culture or vice versa. Mm. Um, and so you'll, you know, that'll probably be a a discussion that you'll want to have early on what to do in those situations and how bad it needs to get before, you know, action needs to be taken.
2: Ah, so you could have somebody who's well-liked, but a poor performer, Mm -hmm. a great performer, but causing chaos in the company and being a jerk. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I guess the founders have to decide early on how we're going to handle those, which no founders do. Right. They never talk about, hey, what will we do if things go wrong if we yeah. have to fire somebody? Especially it will never if it's, go
1: wrong. Yeah. It can't
2: possibly go wrong. <laughs> right. Uh, but invariably, the people who you hire for those first couple of years are going to be different than the people you hire in the next phase of the company, mm-hmm. the scaling phase of the company. So, really understanding how you're going to add people to the team and split up responsibilities super important. That's why I think roles and responsibilities are super important. If you can build an org chart of what the company looks like today with five or six people on it, but what it'll eventually look like when one person isn't doing operations, office management, HR, marketing, and sales, and the other person is doing product design, user testing, support. I mean, sometimes we have too many roles, Mm -hmm. but to show the org chart at 30 people when you're only at six or seven is a nice way to sort of understand how this will change over time.
1: Yeah, and really understand what each co-founder wants to be working on and what they're passionate about. That can be you know helpful too. Yeah.
2: What's our last one here?
1: Okay. Yeah, and uh, of course it's important to set time and attention ex- expectations with your loved one. So you definitely want to have spousal buy-in. You want to make sure that you're communicating what this is going to take, what the time investment is going to be, um, you know, what the risks are, the different types of sacrifices that you're inevitably going to take, um, and just make sure that your spouse is aware of it and, you know, ultimately okay with it.
2: Yeah. Spousal or significant other buy-in, something that most people don't spend enough time on. If you're three co-founders and all three of you are married or have a significant other, you really have six... (laughs) co-founders, three of them who aren't in the office every day, but who can have an impact on the business, Um, and making sure they understand the sacrifice and the duration of the sacrifice. Critically important. You know, I'm going to put four years into this business, which means I'm going to be on call, essentially. And maybe you have kids or you've got a spouse who wants to, I don't know, take the summer off or take a month. And that uh, lack of alignment with your third co-founder or fourth co-founder, that that could cause chaos, um, especially for the person who's trying to make a decision. Do I am I loyal to the business and I work all of July and August, or am I loyal to my family or significant other or spouse who wants to take six weeks every summer? Because I don't know, they they're European and that's how they do things over there, and they want to take six weeks. All right, I think this is great. Let's uh, go to our next point. What's our next thing we want to focus on?
1: Great. Uh, so. When when should a founder fi- formalize communication standards and guidelines with the team? In short, as
0: soon as possible. Yeah. It's really really important that you set the tone very early and be professional. You know, the when you as the founder, co-founders, founding team set that professionalism, it it creates, you know, it sort of trickles down to the to the employees right that, you know, we're not gossip is not accepted, you know, we communicate on, you know, via email or if text message is okay, add that into it. Make sure people know the channels that they can use to communicate with you. Um, it's it's just, it's, ins- it's incredibly important to set that process really, really early because just like, you know, you're doing co-founder alignment, this is team alignment too. You need to be aligned with your team moving forward and always, always be professional. It's so easy in these early startups to, you know, you wanna blow some steam off because you're working really hard. And so you all go out and you know party and drink together. And that just doesn't, it really doesn't open up a great, it doesn't set a great stage for professional communication in the office when you do those kinds of things.
2: Yeah. And a lot of times you're starting it with two of your friends from college or something like that. And you're not professional because you were in a fraternity or sorority together and you did the opposite of being professional. Now you're in an office uh, and maybe you've taken money from people, and if you act like you're still in your sorority or fraternity, um, or your you know apartment or something like that, it, that's going to trickle down, and that unprofessionalism is going to just spread, and that can lead to all kinds of bad situations. Um, that's why I advise companies today, like mm, maybe no, maybe not happy hours, maybe have lunch as a team, uh, and de-emphasizing alcohol at the workplace. I think. Something that has become sort of the standard here. Some people might think something's lost, but um, you, you also don't need to be the social life of the party as the founder. Sometimes the founders think they have to be the ones who are throwing the party, etc. Maybe not. Maybe if your team wants to go out, uh, that's okay. But you don't have to be out at every social event. Hey, everybody! Last episode, I told you about this new incredible bed called Eight Sleep. It's called the Pod, and It helps you sleep better by dynamically cooling and heating your side of the bed or your spouse's, and then it sets a thermo alarm so when you wake up, oh boy, now you can wake up and it'll get a little bit cooler and raise your heart rate and make you wake up naturally so you're super well rested. This is a Silicon Valley-backed startup. Uh, it was started in New York, but they've got backers like Coastal Ventures, Y Combinator and Azure Capital, and in Silicon Valley, you need that extra energy. You need that energy level for you to have the right mood and the right take charge attitude at your startup and be focused. It's the ultimate hack in optimizing your productivity. You got to get great sleep. So I just pre-ordered the bed. And you will get the sleep you deserve by heading to 8 twist. That's right. Go to 8sleep.com twist and supercharge your health and productivity and you can try the product risk-free for 100 days. They'll take it back if you don't like it. 8sleep.com slash twist. Get the sleep you deserve by heading over to 8 twist. Again, it's 100 days. You got nothing to lose. And... This is going to make you super, super efficient. Go ahead and enjoy the new pod from Eight Sleep. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. Uh, what's our next bullet point here? It's kind of funny.
0: Yeah. So, in in that same vein of being professional, sort of not in front of the kids. So, as as co-founders and founding team members, you want to specifically co-founders. If you have disagreements, that's okay. You're going. You're you're building this company together. You've never. Neither of you have likely never done it before, and you're you're going to have some wrinkles, but it's really important that you don't take those disagreements on the, you know, startup floor, that you're taking those behind closed doors and, and, you know, hashing everything out so that you can go to the team as a united front so that they don't feel like there's some kind of breakdown, not only in communication, but, oh my gosh, the world is ending. These co-founders are fighting all of the time. So it's, it's just, it's important to maintain that professionalism and, you know, having resolutions to your conflicts not in front of your team
1: yeah Yeah. ultimately when you know with your early employees oftentimes they're um you know they're they're Taking these risks and making these sacrifices for you as the founders, um, and they are—they're counting on you. And it's not necessarily always about the you know the startup idea. Um, you know, it could be that you have recruited people from you know your past that have seen you work and want to be on your team. And so you know, if, if that breaks down, then essentially what's left, you know, in a lot of cases.
2: And some things are fine to have a a debate about. You could even have a, a healthy charge debate about a product, but I would say. Th- you really have to start thinking about which topics might create a sense of panic in the team. So you've spent all this time to build a team of a dozen people, and now you're having a blowout fight over if you're gonna raise money or not raise money, if you're gonna lay people off, if you're gonna fire somebody. Like This is the kind of stuff that should not occur in front of the team. If you wanna have a structured discussion about your go-to market strategy, and are you gonna do paid ads or content marketing, um, or... You know, how are you going to recruit people? Those are fine debates to have. What I find people sometimes do, and this, again, goes back to the the first bullet point we have here about being professionals, they may debate something in front of everybody that just scars them. And they just think, oh, now I don't have a sense of security here. If that person can be fired on the spot, I guess that means I could be fired on the spot. Or if they're arguing over if the company should shut down you know, their consumer product and go B2B, like, wait a second, I, I bought into a mission, as we said earlier, and having a line mission, that was the opposite. Wait, this place is chaos. And I think the fighting in front of the kids can create chaos. Um, and then make it hard for people to focus on work. So I think it's a very important point. Uh, what's our next one? To over communicate,
0: especially as it relates to your mission, your goals and your roles in the company. It's you want to make sure that everyone knows what they are working towards, mm. uh, and the way they do that is they you overcommunicate the mission. Yep. You know, and just as a as sort of an aside, when I when I first started at Launch, I was asked what the mission was. I was probably a week in. Yeah. And I said, inspiring innovation and supporting founders. Yeah. And I was told, that's the incorrect order. Yeah. <laughs> And so I, and I think that's really important. You know, I yeah. was only a couple of days in and it yeah. was already, it, it rang true and it's really important. Everything yeah, we do support supports found, that, mission, yeah, that mission.
2: Support founders, inspire innovation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you think about it, we came up with that from the conference and then also investing and it, it's actually really served us because when we look at a course like this that we're doing here, it's to support founders yeah, it might inspire some innovation, but this part is really about the sporting founders. Um, and goals are different than missions. Uh, goals are, hey, this is what we want to get done this week, this month, this year, this quarter. The mission is something that maybe doesn't change for the life of the company. Or if it did, it would be a big discussion.
0: And those, but those goals support that mission, right? Everything's yeah. going towards that. So when you're overcommunicating the mission, and then everybody knows what that is, everyone's bought in. Then overcommunicating the goals. And and tracking people, which we'll get into a little bit later, but tracking people against those goals as well, Um, and then important within those goals is you know what your role is, you know exactly what your responsibility is. So everyone is on the same page. There's not this misalignment, um, and you're able to service the mission more successfully.
2: The big problem is sometimes you set a goal and two people are responsible for it, and the ball falls right between them. (laughs) You know, like uh, like outfielders in a baseball game, they just. They they don't know who's actually responsible, and that's why it's very clear to just put somebody responsible. I also like to tell people what the goals are, and then when they report in, report back on what percentage of the way you are to hitting that goal, or what goals do you have that you don't feel you're going to hit, and what's your strategy for maybe um, changing the goal or trying another strategy to hit that goal. And over-communicating is critical. People send things in an email, nobody reads email people say things in a meeting, people are distracted. If you're the manager, you have to repeat the mission and the goals at least 10 times if you want half the people to remember it.
0: Yeah, and to that point, different methods of communication as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, email is a good place to put it, Asana, if you're using that, or some other tracker, a Trello board, whatever it is, but boy, do you have to repeat it. And this is something that people miss in terms of management all the time. they say, "Well, I said this," and it's like, "When did you say that?" It's like people are busy and distracted; they've got a million things. Okay, our final point seems obvious, but it's obviously important.
0: Yeah, so being transparent. So this, you know, could could it aligns with uh, over communicating? But especially at an early stage, your early employees likely have some kind of stock option in your company, so they're stakeholders. It's really, really important to to be transparent with your employees. I'm, I mean, without arguing in front of the kids um, that, you know, what's going on within the company, what the high level, you know, not only what the high level goals are, but what the high level challenges are. Yeah. Um, so that everyone can be, you know, focusing on solutions together yeah. um, instead of, you know, the
2: co-founder sort of toiling away. These two own. things, Sam, not in front of the kids and be transparent, These seem like opposites. How would you reconcile this? Give me a couple examples of things that you'd say, you know what, if the three of us were co-founders, in this new company we would want to take on the side and have a discussion privately versus things that we want to be transparent about?
1: Yeah, two that go hand in hand. Um, or the first one that comes to mind is, so as a founder, in the beginning, you know, you may have issues with payroll mm. uh, or making payroll. And so you'll want to discuss as a team, as a co-founding team, um, you know, what to do with uh, you know with that. So it's either, um, you know, you have a couple options and, so, you know, in many cases you can either, um, you know, maybe communicate with your employees like hey we need to delay payroll hey we need you to skip this payroll so yeah. so evaluating you know the bigger picture all of that and making a decision together and then at that point you need to decide okay what do we communicate with the team you know how far yeah. do we take it so is it like hey you know this this round of So fell you're specifically through.
2: talking about a shutdown kind of situation hey if you're running out of money and you may need yeah. to do a lot of Well this would be very shutdown. very
1: early but yeah um and uh, you know and that transparency would come just you know when you're talking to your team do you do you tell them everything? Do you tell them, you know, hey, this investor check didn't didn't come in or, it you know, fell through? Yeah. Um, so, no, we can't, you know, make these hires or do any of this. Or do you kind of keep it close to the chest and hope that you'll be able to
2: figure it out between, you know, between you the two of you? Where do you fall on that one? Let's say the <clears throat> round is coming together, not coming together. What would you advise a founder to do? What have you done yeah. in the past?
1: Um, so, I... This actually did happen to me, so I can tell you exactly what we did. Um, so we we tried to be – we were transparent, but we also let the team know that we were doing everything we possibly could to, um, you know, f- to basically close the, the financial gap, the cash gap that we were experiencing. Um, and – gave them essentially a timeline for what that would look like. So and gave them scenarios. So, you know, hey, if these certain checks did come in on time, this would happen. If they didn't come in on time, this would happen. So you had um, a plan A and a plan B. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe And, and we set C. different timelines. So, you know, if if this if this check didn't come in by in by this time, um, then then yeah, we may need you to skip payroll. And in that case,
2: we would, you know, help you and support you in finding your next role at yeah. a different company. Yeah. That's where Really, it can get dicey when the company is at in the last three months and it's a coin toss if it's going to work out or not. You're, you're really obligated to be candid with people because it is their future. Um, and boy, is it terrible when people come to work one day and there's no money left in the bank and they just let everybody go with no notice. Um, I am a fan of giving people exactly, and I do this with Inside, hey, we raised $2.x million. We're burning 25 to 50 a month. And so that gives us... 50 months of runway to 75 months of runway. Here's why we're investing that money every month. We could be break-even right now, but we want to invest and grow another 20 newsletters. And here's the plan. Um, and here's what we did in revenue the last four quarters. And here's what we want to do in the next four quarters. Here's how we're going to get there. So I, I love being transparent about that. I understand some people, maybe when you have six to 12 months, you don't want people to be scared and running for the door. Right. Um, but you should be candid about it, I think, in this case. All right. I've told you this over and over again Zendesk is the best customer support system in the world. And they have a range of products now with the Zendesk suite, from live chat to a knowledge base, tons of features for you to get all of your communication in one place with your valuable customers and make sure that none of these important discussions with your customers uh, go into the black hole or get lost. Think about what happens. Your customers have a need. They go to your help desk. They start chatting with an agent. You don't want to lose this moment in which you can shine and show how much you love and care about your customers. If you love and care about your customers, you're going to want to use the Zendesk suite. You get all that integrated customer support. You get a call center. You get the knowledge base, live chat, all that stuff. And It's going to work brilliantly so all the data gets shared back with the rest of your organization whether the people in finance or product development or the c-suite want to know what's going on and what's going on on the front line when your customers are actually engaging with your products well all that information is going to be in one place organized right and zendesk knows that you're going to love it as much as their customers peloton slack airbnb latote All of these customers are using Zendesk every day. These are the most successful customers in the world. Can you imagine your Peloton? There's a lot of customer support, I'm sure, when you're sending a physical product with a subscription with internet connections. Peloton uses it. Slack, one of the most important companies of this generation of companies, uses it. Airbnb, the greatest company to ever come out of Y Combinator. Okay? Qualifying startups are going to get the most amazing offer I think we've ever had here on This Week in Startups in a decade. You're not going to believe this. They want to give you a year free in Zendesk by going to zendesk.com slash twist if you're a startup. And the definition of startup, I have to say, is pretty generous. A hundred employees or less, series B or less. Okay? Terms and conditions apply, of course. But get your free full year right now. Zendesk.com slash twist. Zendesk.com slash twist. Well done, Zendesk. Well done. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. Let's keep moving on. What's the next uh, piece of advice we have?
0: Yeah, so that actually that fits really nicely with um, the next topic of small team communication. So, how do you, you know, while being transparent, um, but as your team grows, how do you stay on the same page with your team as it grows?
2: When you say small team communication, what size are we talking about here? What's a small team in this definition for our? Uh, discussion purposes. We
0: would say under 10.
2: 10 or under. So Mm -hmm. this is, you've got friends and family, seed funding, maybe you got your product coming to market or maybe a little bit of traction. Yeah, maybe bootstrapping. Bootstrapping, that's another possibility. Great.
1: You really want to make sure you have your communication streamlined. And one way to do this and keep everyone on the same page is through setting something like a 12-week plan. So this would include your different revenue goals. Uh, You know, maybe you could set those milestones at weekly. Um, Your hiring plans, you know, maybe you have a specific, uh, you know, conversion that you're going for in an, you know, in your email, uh, outreach. Um, so make sure you have this plan and then set weekly touch bases. Uh, so for example, um, you know, we, d- I know here at launch, we do team lunches yeah. where we all talk about, um, okay, what are the overarching goals? Where are we tracking against those plans? Um, and then, you know, we also have our end of day reports, which we do. Yeah. Um, so we have everyone on the team that is not on the, the, fan- in the fantastic four, the leadership um, team, yeah. the leadership team, um, everyone sends an update at the end of the day with between four and, you know, maybe four to 10 bullet points with links to everything that they got done today. Mm. And it gives the team a, um, you know, this this opportunity to, uh, you know, brag a little bit about what they got done, um, yeah. you know, things that they're proud of that they did
2: and uh, how they're tracking against the 12-week plan. It also informs the heck out of other people from other departments. We have, whatever, 14 or 15 people here. So we're kind of just out of small team and just starting to go into a mid-sized team. And boy, does that help, because sometimes I'm on the road, or you were just on the road in in our Toronto office, and I'm sure being able to take your phone out, or at the end of the day, just be able to see what's going on out here, versus in Toronto, and and see the bullet points, also reminds people, back to that repeating, if you are sending that EOD report, just a five-minute email at the end of the day that just says, here's the top two or three things I got done, you can link to, hey, here's where the form is, here's the sales, here's the... Google Analytics page. Here's the Asana board that we're working off of. So I I really find that people who make plans and then track themselves against them do better. And this is just, if you can measure it, you can manage it or measure what matters. We have a lot of different buzzwords for it here in Silicon Valley, Uh, but plant a flag and see if you can hit it. Be ambitious. It's okay not to hit it, Uh, but better to make a plan, not succeed and learn something than to have no plan and just be flying the plane out into the great wide open. Like you don't know where you're going. You could be going into a thunderstorm. You could be going into a tornado. You might not have enough fuel to get you where you need to go. And that's what this planning, I think, can do for yourself
0: yeah, and your I, team. I would add too on the the end of day, end of week, is it also from a communication perspective, it it cuts down on excess communication. I for mean, sure. you're, you're putting everything in this uh, document daily or weekly, and then your manager, or your boss, doesn't have as many questions for you later. There's not a yeah. lot. No, there's not as much follow-up. It's it's been hugely helpful for our team, and I've heard feedback from a lot of other teams actually that that have uh, implemented it and have yeah, seen Kush great success. Started
2: imp- implementing it. Cush uh, Marketplace, one of our investments, read my blog post about it, just the EOD and EOW reports, and they said it's changed everything for them. So that's great. And what happens if people's EOD is light? And it doesn't look like they're GSD getting stuff done. What do you? What happens then, Sam? Yeah. Well, ideally, What's they the would come and, to
1: us first and just yeah. say, you know, before they even send it, just say, "Hey, I, you know, I don't feel like I have enough to contribute in this EOD. I don't have enough mm-hmm. to write down. Maybe I spent too much, you know, looking at the news or whatever." Um, and yeah. so, which so, is we'll, not the job. <laughs> yeah, reading is, yeah, judge not, not the charge report and job. yeah, yeah
2: <clears throat> reacting to emails coming in is not exactly the job.
1: Yeah, so what we do in that case is just, you know, evaluate the role and what, what that team member is, you know, supposed to be taking ownership of and, you know, give them more work if necessary. Or or what I like to do is ask them, okay, so, you know, this these are your goals. This is our 12-week plan. How can you contribute more for the team? Yeah. And, and what,
2: what could your EODs look like? What, what else can you accomplish? This is something that happens in companies that people forget. Sometime, you know, after you have seven, eight, nine people, somebody winds up not pulling their weight. Maybe because they're lazy, but more often than not, they just haven't been given uh, a clear path to contribute to the team. So they don't actually know what they're supposed to be doing. And you will have this happen multiple times where the team grows. You add a bunch of people. People start specializing in different verticals. And then a person who is kind of running around just putting out fires in your small little five-person startup has nothing to do. Um, and, And when I came up in the industry in the 90s, There were always people had their offices and like the senior execs would be in their offices and because I was an IT guy, like I could tell like their computers were not being used or whatever or what was going on on their computers because we had like a server architecture. And like, I just remember one time this attorney was just playing chess all day in his room because he had chess master to that. He asked me to put chess master on his computer. I put it on there, but I could tell that chess master was on his screen and he was using it all day. It was like, wow, this person is working at a giant. This person is getting paid six figures to play chess for four hours a day. Like They literally had nothing to do, um, and you really don't want <laughs> that in your company. Let's keep going here. Oh, Charles makes a nice point. Charles know, here, um, our director, by the way, sorry to interrupt. He um, he said he uses his EOD as a starting point as a to-do list in the morning. So we have seen that phenomenon where people get into work, create a blank email to their team that says, things I got things I'm going to do today, and they write down a list of what they're going to do and then check it off as they go. But we we found these to be super lightweight. Lightweight's important because you don't want people spending two hours at the end of their day reporting on what they did for tw- you know, 25% of the time. Keep it to five or 10 minutes. Okay, any other points on that?
1: Yeah, and... Uh- you know, a couple weeks ago, just thinking about the EODs, um, I had approached you about hiring for a specific position. Yeah. And you came back to me with the idea. Well, how about um, you know moving forward, whenever we want to hire a new person, a new team member, um, you write down what their EODs would look like for a week. Yeah. And so what that enabled me to do is sit down, really think through. Okay, what am I looking for? And I was also able to utilize that when I was writing the job description that I posted. Yeah. So I was able to just take that information, you know, put that in the LinkedIn. Yeah profile and it was you know pretty much done because
2: we're hiring for an analyst that would be somebody at a venture firm who just is the front line of reviewing companies that come in or companies we find and trying to write some coverage on them write a one or two page uh, document so the eod for that person would say reviewed 15 um applications for funding you know uh to launch and wrote up these three companies uh, and set up meetings with these four companies for tomorrow to talk to them and evaluate their startups. And you could also look at, hey, if you're eliminating a position or merging positions, you could just say, well, if we have these two people working right now, maybe we need to consolidate those positions because two peoples look a little bit light or we're going to outsource something. So if you see in the same person's you know, EOD report that they're doing SDR work, uh, you know, uh, sales development work for two or three hours a day. Maybe say, you know what, let's get that off their plate and give that to an outsourced company. So it just gives you an idea of what the actual work getting done is. Obviously, our last point here: you use lightweight communications. Fairly obvious. Anything to add to that? Yeah, we
1: we here at Slack use or at Launch use Slack. Sorry. Yeah.
2: Um, and you know, I'm hoping th- at Slack they use Slack. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I think we previously, here at Slack yeah, yeah. HipChat. <laughs> previously, it was email, and I think um, since we have moved to Slack, it enables you to. So there, there can be um some negative. So, you know, Slack can get distracting, but if you keep everyone focused and you have specific purposes for your channels, um it keeps everything very streamlined and it keeps it a lot lighter and less formal than say an email would be. So, you know, you can say you have a question, you could just slack it over to Ashley versus having to, you know, open up an email, type out an email, include the context, things like that.
2: Yeah, if you're a developer or you're a writer, Slack is death because it takes you out of your flow of writing. Right. So, when I'm writing, the first thing I do is turn off all my Slack channels, and I just use a Google Doc, and I turn off every other window because it's just distracting. But for everybody else, if you're running around and you're part of the sales team or the marketing team, yeah, it's kind of like a, a back and forth. You're volleying a whole bunch uh, with your and having the rooms there. It makes it super easy and lightweight. I just the thing I love most is how we pull data in, and I think we're going to talk about that later, but. Putting in the reporting and data feeds into your Slack makes it super interesting, just like the EOD reports do. It just kind of keeps you informed as to the lifeblood of the company. Okay, let's go to our next slide.
1: Absolutely. Um, so, Ashley, how does how does communication change as you grow from ten to twenty to thirty employees?
0: Yeah. So it you know you want to take that rubric you've already created of communication and you just build on it. Yeah. So instead of looking at, you know, your 12-week <clears throat> plan, you're looking at a 12-month plan mm. and you're tracking the employees across that. Um, you know, you want to make sure they know what the top revenue goal is, what, you know, whatever they if they're, it's a person on the sales team, what their their goal for the, for the year is. Um, if it's someone who's launching syndicates, what, you know, how many syndicates they need to launch in that year. Um, it's really important that you are, um that you communicate with the on the individual level as you start to grow so it's it's you've likely now split out into teams so each team has their goals over 12 yeah. months instead of the instead of like the you know the company as a whole um and it's <clears throat> it's also um important that you to do this you also can have have meetings yeah usually weekly is best
2: yeah
0: at 10 20 30 employees Hopefully you have space for all of those for one yeah. meeting, but it's not—you're it, past the point where everyone gets to talk at a meeting. Yeah. So it's really important at this stage to start with the anxiety. Yeah. To start with the problem. So who who needs help? You now have a pool of twenty or thirty people that can actually help with solve these problems. It's not just five people in an office just grinding and trying to solve all the problems across the company and maybe being under-resourced. Now you have some, you know, some weight to the team and people can help each other out. You can do, you know, barn raisings where you're just researching a certain topic. You all sit heads down for 20 minutes and then you share your research.
2: Yeah. And you can still make the 12-month plan if you have a small team. I encourage you to do that. But it might be harder to track when you're more nascent and have smaller teams against just, you know, a 12-month plan. It might be way too much. Uh, and you're going to get to the point at some point where you can't have everybody in the room, as Ashley's saying, speaking in a in a in a meeting, which you can do when you have ten. Right? We go around the table here at our staff lunch, but now that we're fourteen, maybe half the people we go around the table and talk, and we try to rotate who gets to talk each week. Um, but it's a different type of uh, communication that's going to occur, and you're going to need to invest in your communications tools, as we see here in the third point. What tools do you think when you start getting to that fifteen to twenty-five? people you're going to want to start using. What tools?
0: Yeah, actually, Sam Sam can talk about that because she's gonna she is going to talk about um, tools for the internal communications. Okay. So that's our next slide here, 5A. Mm-hmm.
2: Tools for internal communication. Uh, you're like totally into these tools. I'm it, very into As the, the tools. president Sam of is, the company. <laughs> Sam is very into very tools. Into well, tools. it's interesting because before Sam, uh, we would, you know, we had everything in our brains and some of it on paper and now everything's sort of becoming more formalized so let's talk about establishing these processes
1: yeah when i first joined the team i i sat down at my desk and i looked around and i was like okay i there's no Slack, nothing set up. How do I communicate with with yeah. Jason, with Ashley, with Demont? Um, I I had no idea. Yeah. Um, and I think you know when I asked each team member, I think when I asked you, you said, "Oh, well, I use iMessage." Ashley yeah. said iMessage. Demont said email. Yeah. Matt said Google Chat. Um, yeah. And I was like, "Okay, first thing, let's install Slack." Yeah. I think I wrote you like a three page proposal on, yeah. on what that would oh, look like. like whatever, I really wanted to use Slack. Um,
2: yeah. And and with that. Um, you have so, to get everybody to invest, and in. everybody has to believe in Slack. Yeah. Like I wasn't really into Slack. I found it so disturbing all day long. But, but now st- you love it, right? Well, I'll tell you what I like about it now is that I think it's making everybody else communicate better. I can sort of pop in and out of it. I mm-hmm. don't have to be a slave to it. Um, but I find it highly distracting as a writer. But Yeah. Yeah, I think for everybody else it works just wonderfully.
1: Yeah, great. Um, yeah, and and before you were touching on the um, the Slack integrations for um, the data updates. So yep. right now we have we probably have fifteen installed. So a couple of, of examples of that is um, we have a Google Analytics integration. So um, every single morning we get a report on how many people are viewing our all of our different websites, um, and then also how that's tracking against previous weeks, which is mm-hmm. really cool. Um, I know Segment has some integrations utilizing Zapier, um, you know, so, and also um, I have a feed coming in when someone applies for a job uh, via, like,
2: LinkedIn. Um, So we get the resume of the candidate and information like that. I Um, also like that we see, like, when somebody uh, signs up for an event or buys mm -hmm. a ticket or a sales lead comes in or we're processing deals in our CRM, we can Mm kind of see that stuff in real time. It's 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 a nice uh, way to sort of get up to date on what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and and to Ashley's point
1: earlier, um, you don't have to be. You know, it, it does limit the communication that's required among the team. Um, it's all you know more proactive. So you can just you know check. You don't have to be asking everyone on the team like, hey, you know, where are we tracking against this? What what's the the um, you know recent number for this? You just look in Slack. It's all there. Mm. Um, the last thing I would say is just to utilize uh, you know tools like Asana for checklists. Um that's what we use as a team for our production schedule. Uh, also utilizing tools like Envision for application design. So yeah. you know before Envision, it's really just, okay, I'm gonna go into you know, Photoshop or whatever and design something and send it off. Um but Envision has tools where you can um you know m- you know um, play with the designs in real time and provide feedback and things like that. So Envision is a tool I would highly recommend for that.
2: yeah. um I've read the checklist manifesto and it's really great if you're doing something over and over and over again to make a template. Like if you're doing a hundred episodes of This Week in Startups or you're doing a hundred investments a year, you can really start to go through your diligence list or other items and make sure you don't miss something. Because even doctors and nurses and pilots and co-pilots, they were crashing planes and killing people because they just didn't follow the basic checklists. In fact, they didn't have checklists. And when they instituted checklists, people stopped dying it in also, hospitals. It also
0: makes implants. it easy for a, a teammate to, you know, a team member to come in and, and yeah. help you. They can sure. take a look at your checklist and say, know how to, either know how to do whatever your process is, or they can see wh- what you haven't checked yet and they can help.
2: Sure. When you went on maternity, we were still able to do syndicates. It wasn't all locked in your head. This is true. Yeah. Okay. Uh, external communications is kind of important too.
1: Yeah, um, so here at Launch, we use a couple of different tools for this. Um, one, are, you know, for external communications, and there are different types, but uh, one thing that I did when I first started here was to kind of organize where all those communications were coming from and who they went to. Mm. So uh, we use, we utilize uh, Zendesk and Front for this. So, you know, when you go onto our website, you'll see um, different email addresses for the di- different events we have going on. So like, you know, for launch festival, we have fe- festival at co, And then we have all of those feeding into a specific inbox that, mm. you know, our Toronto team can look at and jump in on. Um, you know, so getting those separated is actually, and having you know communications go to the respective teams is really helpful.
2: And so, obviously, you're organizing all this incoming communications, um, and then the sales team obviously has got a lot going on. How do we manage the sales team and the marketing?
1: Yeah, our sales team uses a combination of PipeDrive and MixMax, so we keep track of all of our deals in PipeDrive, of all you know, of course, which feeds into Slack, um, and then we have. Uh, a tool called Mixmax, which we use for prospecting and qualifying. Uh, Mixmax is really cool because you can create canned responses, um, and the there are a lot of really cool enhancements you can make to your email. So mm-hmm. like for example, instead of directing people to a separate Calendly link, Mixmax has that built into the email, so Got all the person has to do yeah. is just click on one of the options and the meeting scheduled. It's really yeah, cool.
2: Mixmax, Outreach, there's a bunch of these different tools. Some people use Salesforce. Mm-hmm. Um, all of them work slightly differently, but... To do the same thing, manage mm-hmm. the flow of leads, and do email sequencing to, you know, sort of automate part of the process.
1: Okay, yeah. And then uh, the third recommendation I would make would be to publish documentation. So we have, you know, frequently asked questions on our site. When you see your support team answering the same questions over and over and over again, you really need to get those published somewhere. Yeah. Um, I know Zendesk has Zendesk Guide um, and you can use that to create public knowledge bases. And then also um, you can create an online community so that your users are actually communicating with themselves and they, and your team can actually step out of it in some
2: cases. Yeah. You see that a lot with Apple Apple has like mm-hmm. these message boards. Every time I have a problem with something with my iPhone, or when I do a search, it sends me to like message boards and the Apple people are not super involved. And then like the Apple Customers are like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is a known problem. Like the iPad Pro keyboard mm-hmm. is just garbage. It's broken. I return mine three times. Just go into the store and tell them it's never worked and they'll do it. And I was like, okay. So I went to the store. I was like, it's never worked. They're like, we'll give you a new one. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah. And also for our accelerator, it's always like the same 30 questions. So what I do now is I have a snippet of text that I have got in my uh, browser so I can instantly published that just tells people, like, here's a list of frequently asked questions. Here's, I use Superhuman, we're investors in that company. And I can do a very quick control shift I to do an introduction or reply to an introduction. And then I can paste my standard snippet of, hey, here's Jason Demont, who's the managing director of the accelerator, You can visit our frequently asked questions and discuss with him, blah, 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 blah about the next class. And then he's got his own snippet that he hits and replies back to them. And so we just start every conversation on second or third base. You're just 50% of the way through the process, 60% of the way through the process. Uh, And it's a big part of, I think, also speaking with uh, some consistency. That's why I love snippets and people really... um, writing concise answers to the repeatable questions. No, we don't do that, we don't have that feature. We don't, you, we, you know, our software doesn't do that or yes, we're adding that feature and here's when you can expect it. Okay, great, uh, let's move on to our next slide.
0: Yeah, so we're gonna switch gears a little bit here and uh, talk about having tough conversations.
2: Yeah, when you're scaling this is gonna come up over and over again.
0: And um, Sam, as a, as a former founder, how do you handle tough conversations with your team?
1: One of the biggest things for us is just getting out of the office and into fresh air. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, this is, you know, if you feel safe. Um, but we here at launch, we go on walk and talk. So yeah. anytime, anytime I have a one on one with someone on the team, whether it's tough or not, we actually just go for a couple walks around the block. Yeah. Um, which is really nice to get exercise. Um, and also, you don't feel, well, number one, you don't feel like people may be, you know, um, overhearing what you're saying. But also, um, it's just a nice kind of like ob- objective atmosphere. Yeah. Um, and you can, it, you know, it's, it's really good to for f- facilitating um, just really good conversation. And again, it doesn't have to be tough conversations, but that's what we do. And then, of course, I would recommend it for tough conversations. Um, oftentimes, I don't think, you know, founders will try to keep, and co founders will try to keep uh, the tough conversations between themselves. And I mm. think they forget that. They've never done this before in most cases, so they don't have all the answers. Yeah. Um, so I would strongly advise to seek outside help. So um, you know whether that's co-founder therapy, different you know advisors or investors that you have, um, HR reps. There are plenty of options for this. Um, so definitely seek outside help because um, you know again most co-founders don't have the experience, and other you know other people will likely be more experienced than
2: you. Yeah, we see this all the time um, where. Founders come to us when it's reached a really acute point and we're like, well, why didn't you tell us two months ago? And Well, we thought we could figure it out and you know now the relationship is impossible to repair or it's significantly damaged and the company may be damaged because they spent three months fighting over their go-to-market strategy or what their product was and You're in a race against the clock in a startup if you're debating stuff and debating stuff and fighting about it and there's bad feelings well, That's time you could have been putting into your product or your go-to market strategy or uh, understanding your customers better. And you're fighting with your co-founder over, I don't know, the office layout or the desks you're using or how you spend money or should you be going to conferences. Um, And a lot of times, I find that the fights are almost universally, four to five times, the fights are about things that are not important to the ultimate success of the business, which is wacky yeah, and, um, a couple
1: years ago, I went through a program called Innerspace, and we learned to not cross the net. And what that means is uh, to imagine yourself on a tennis court. You're on one side, your co-founder, whoever else is on the other side. And you want to make sure you're not cr- crossing over onto their side of the net to, um you know, speak for them or try to, you know, communicate what you think they're feeling. Right. You only need to talk about, and um, you know, and mention what you're observing, hmm. and don't you know? Don't don't cross the net and bring up things that you think that they're
2: observing. Right. This is a standard communication technique for couples therapy, family therapy. Instead of telling people you think I'm stupid, or you don't think I'm hardworking, you would say I feel that you think I'm incompetent. Do you? and then you give the other person a chance to respond like actually no i don't think you're incompetent and i okay. wouldn't even
1: consider that crossing the net because really?
2: you're you're going
1: because you're not saying what you've only observed uh. you're you're assuming that they think you're incompetent but that's an assumption right. so you right. want to say um you know i noticed that you were um you know sending me the uh, you, you know, well you sent me this message the other day that said i was incompetent huh. so you wouldn't want to make that assumption sure. you would just want to talk about what you witnessed
2: yeah no that's sort of my point it's like i you told me I did a bad job on this. That made me feel that I am incompetent. Mm-hmm. Do you actually think I'm incompetent? Like, there's a way to say it and let the person know you hurt your feelings. That gives them actually a little bit of space because then they don't have to deny it because they're like, oh, that's how you felt when I said that. That wasn't my intent. My intent was to be candid, like we talked about before, and transparent about the fact that, hey, you know, this product is not good enough. Our MPS score is too low. Right. And I I, I like to always police people's speech when they say I as opposed to we, Mm -hmm. you know, like um, we need to get this done as opposed to you or I. Right.
1: And another point um, to add to this is to just avoid emotional confrontation. So, you know, unless it's time sensitive or urgent, anytime you're feeling any sort of, you know, anger or, you know, even if it's just sadness, um, just try to remove yourself if you can, you know, maybe sleep on it. Um, You don't want to be making decisions while you're emotional. Um, So come back to it when you can, you know, think about it objectively.
2: Yeah, there's no reason to fire off a slack. This is where slack can be problematic because people can start firing stuff off in Mm -hmm. slack. Yeah. And then emails almost as bad. Text messaging's almost as bad. Like people take the hardest conversations, they decide they're going to do them on text messages. Like text message, not exactly the place to have that discussion. That might be a discussion best to have on the phone or in person.
0: It's also very hard to tell tone over. over For sure. Tech. Yeah. So using a phone or in person is always the preferred method.
2: Uh, we've basically come up with emojis as a way to try to and animated gifs and memes to try to mitigate against this, So we're like, oh, my God. And I always use the facepalm, which is just like, (laughs) instead of me being angry or frustrated, I'm just like, oh, my God. Oh, God. I just put my hand on my thing. Because that, to me, seems like a better way to communicate is Captain Picard's. How does that come across when I do my Captain Picard? We get the point.
0: I get more of the facepalm than any the uh, (laughs) facepalm. I haven't gotten that yet.
2: You haven't gotten that yet? It's sort of like. I use the face palm sort of like, oh my God, we still haven't gotten this done. Or we're like, we're we're sort of repeating our own incompetence and not being able to solve this problem or self-inflicted wound. It's just sort of like, oh it's not like I'm angry at anybody. It's just more like frustration in the system that I just want to put my head in my hands and just be like, oh, why is this still happening to us? Well, why isn't this resolved? Okay, <laughs> communicating yeah. with investors. This is super important. Uh, yeah. So
1: switching topics a little bit, but um, why do you why do you need to regularly update your investors?
0: Yeah. I mean, you can also sometimes have tough conversations with your investors, but yeah. uh, it's 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 hugely important to keep your investors updated. They are invested in your company, both with their time and energy and money, and it's a great forcing function for the founder. To monthly go through whatever those metrics are that they've, you know, tried to, or trying to hit for that month and, and plotting it out, putting it in an email and then sending it to the investor who is, you know, has put money into the company and wants to know what the health of the business is. Mm. It's also important to keep them updated on a regular cadence because you're going to need help at some point. And maybe that's a help with a hire or help marketing your product, uh, or maybe it's hey we're running out of money and I don't know what to do. So, by keeping them updated regularly, they're following along on your journey and are, you know, they're they're more apt to help if they know what's going on. If they see the path to the challenge or to the success, they're just they're just going to be more excited for you or they're going to be more up to help.
2: Yeah, we see this all the time with syndicates because we have so many um, members in a syndicate. We might have 50 or 100 or 150 angel investors invest in a company and then somebody, one of the founders says, I need to meet somebody at Disney. They email that list of 100 investors. And four people go. Oh, my cousin works there, or somebody who worked with me at last company works there, or we have a deal with them, uh, with my venture firm, or something. Uh, and boy, a lot of times you can request something from your investors, and they will go above and beyond. We see people who invest five thousand dollars in a company, you know, spending an inordinate amount of time trying to help make those companies uh, successful. What should be in the monthly update? What are the most important things, Ashley?
0: So the most important things are are whatever your key. Metric is, hopefully it's revenue. So yeah. what your revenue is for the month. It will be um, eventually, by yeah, the way. Spoiler <laughs> alert, if your startup
2: is tracking metrics other than revenue and earnings, at some point, like when you go public, that's going to be what people want to discuss, right? Like we're yes. sitting here right before Uber is going to go public, Lyft just went public, Pinterest is going public. You know, at the end of that 10-year journey of building product and delighting customers, Wall Street and other financial investors at the end of the line are going to be like, what's your earnings? What's your EBITDA? What's the price to earnings ratio? We all get judged at the end of the day by that revenue number. Now, in the beginning, there might be more important things like how people are using the product, but eventually that will be the most important one. What are the other two you got here?
0: Absolutely. So uh, the next one would be runway. Mm -hmm. And runway is helpful for both parties. As a founder, you should know how much runway you have at all times um, because it takes about six months to raise around. So... If you have eight months left, you should be thinking about starting that next fundraise.
2: Last month. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: So it's – and then the investor also knows when, you know, when the founder is going to come to them and say, hey, we're raising another round. Can you do intros? Do you want to come into this round? Um, And then the last is uh, the risks. So whatever your sort of current – what your problems are, what you really, really need help with, what's whether it's product-related or, you know, team-related, being – uh, transparent with these stakeholders is very, very important.
2: Revenue, would- runway, risks. It's just a great, easy, top of mind. Everything else can go in there too. You can have mm-hmm. job openings, you could have requests, all that stuff. But if they know the revenue, they know when you're out of money, and they know the risks, they can help. I mean, there could be a request in there. I put that as a fourth maybe. There's a bunch of different things you could put there. But I really like the idea when founders tell their investors what. They're concerned about what their blockers are. What are the risks in the business? Because you might get some good feedback, or you might somebody might have solved that problem already. Let's talk about board meetings here. I see start board meetings early is our next point. Why is that important?
0: Yeah, so adding governance to your company early is is important so that you set yourself to a standard and that you be professional. Yeah, uh, when you're like we said
2: in the early slides, set yeah. a professional tone. Yeah,
0: when you're early and it's just you and your co-founder, it's you know creating a time for the two of you to sit down and talk about the health of the business is crucially important, yeah. and I don't, I don't believe that enough co-founders do this. Yeah. Um, and then you can also use that time to invite you know, investors who are really involved, or if you have advisors, to invite them to the meeting and for feedback, they can be observers. Yeah. It makes them feel important, you get excellent feedback. You get focused attention from really smart people. So it's it's really important to formalize early. And then by the time you are raising or seed or Series A, your investor's is going to want a board seat. So you already have this process going. You don't yeah. have to have these amateur board meetings the first couple times, which makes the investor say, "Ooh, should I have yeah. invested in this company?" You know, yeah. you you hit the ground running. So it's it's. It can be very, very helpful, even if it's in the early days, even if it's a little bit more informal, but really setting the time aside, you know, giving... An hour. Yeah, an hour. More than enough. And also requesting that your teammates contribute to it by filling out a slide. Hey, you've been working on the product design for this. Can you put in everything that you've been working on the the last quarter? Yeah. Um, It's, you know, it's anywhere from four to six meetings a year as you as you move forward with your company. I mean, it really it really depends on what you're- We see
2: this as such an amazing um, advantage for the companies that do do it early that we actually started a program where we're mentoring people. So we do a board meeting mentoring four times a year and we have five board meetings in a day and we let people sit in on each other's. And boy, does that help people grow up. And then when you go to your venture capital firm, you've raised 500 in seed funding or a million in- You know, friends and family and a syndicate. When you go to the venture community and you've done four board meetings and you can send them the minutes, the board decks, the projections, the employee stock option plan, the valuation, the 409A, all this stuff, you look like you've got it so uh, together that I think they're more apt to invest because now this feels more professional, it feels more organized, and it feels less risky, right? You're eliminating the risk of this company not being high functioning. So projecting a high functioning professional atmosphere I think makes more people want to be in business with you. Let's go over this last point here real quick.
0: Yeah, and the last with communicating with investors is to be proactive with, you know, target investors for the next round. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you that could be because, you know, you could have these target investors because you've oversubscribed in the current round and they they're looking to the next round or you just know you want to be partners with someone mm-hmm. and you're really keen to work with them. And this means reaching out and asking if you can add them to your monthly updates that you're already doing,
2: or just add them. Some investors, yes. some founders, just add. I met with you, Jason. I'm adding you, and I'm yeah. just like, fine. That's true. I just, I just sort it. It's uh, if you're an in, if you're an investor and you're too precious, I'm not too worried about it. I my advice to founders is don't even ask. If you met with somebody in person, just tell them I took the liberty of adding you to our monthly update for. Uh, you know, on uh, inside.com. Let me know. uh, There's a link at the bottom. If you want to unsubscribe, let me know if you don't want to get it, but could really use your feedback in the coming months. And it's just, if you're an investor, it's charming and it's free information. So I look at it like, wow, we have this, like, sometimes people invest in companies, a small investment in the beginning so they can monitor the company to see if they can make a bigger investment. Mm -hmm. If you're sending me information about your startup and I watch it go from 5,000 a month to 50,000 a month, maybe I want to get on the train now. Maybe you've proven it to me through watching those charts and watching the revenue and the runway and the risks start to evolve over time. All right, listen, this has been amazing. Um, It went a little bit long, but I think it had a lot of great information for people. If communications is terrible and you don't have a good foundation, uh, boy, that could cause problems down the road. Make sure you have your communication set up ahead of time. Thanks uh, again, Ashley and Sam, for joining me. And thanks to our partners and Emmy Awarding, producer Jackie and Sir Charles. And we'll see you all next time on The city startups. Bye-bye.